Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We are happy you're here. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Hello, everyone. How are you? You're good. You look beautiful. Hey, Asha, I was feeling a bit tired on the way over, thinking that three services is a marathon. That was just what I needed to hear. 42 kilometres, really? Well done, man. Um, If we've not met before, my name's Kay, and my husband, John, and I, we run a ministry called Seek Peace. Uh, I'm a Novocastrian, born and bred. I think a lot of you here might also be. The first car ride I ever had was from the John Hunter Hospital across town to where my parents were living in Maryville. And my husband, John Hodge, he is the son of Kent and Ruth Hodge, who some of you might know. Uh, they are missionaries, and they've been missionaries in Nigeria for more than 35 years now. And they head up an amazing ministry called CFM. Uh, well, today I'm going to take a little bit of time sharing with you the vision that God has given to us for our ministry, Seek Peace, and a little bit about how we got here. My prayer is that it would be an encouragement to you to also dig deep into what God is doing in your life and what he's leading you into, even to look to him, even in the midst of huge changes that I'm sure many of us have been affected by in the last couple of years, as our world has kind of looked very new. Now, Sometimes I have a little bit of a habit of finding the point that I'm trying to make at the end of my sentence, which isn't very, and people look at me and they're like, I don't know what she's saying. And I was like, did you get that? Was that revelation? They're like, no. (laughs) But I really believe that God's given me a message that he wants me to come and share with you tonight. I think it's something that he has prepared in advance. And I'm hoping in my prayer, sincere prayer is that, He uses it to speak with you today. And so I'd really like to get it right. So if you don't mind, I'm going to stick with close to my notes tonight because there are some things in here that I'm going to share, especially about our life, which are a little bit tough. And I just want to make sure that I get them with clarity. Okay, so this is is my little family. This is a recent photo of us. Now, John and I, before our two little ones came along, we left for Nigeria in 2016 and our kids joined us on on the journey. Abraham is nearly four and he's starting school this September and Nora is nearly two. She'll be two next month. She's my lockdown baby. She, <laughs> she was born in, um, in Nigeria actually in, 2000, in 2020. Yeah. Now the kids, they did come with me to Australia. They're not here this evening. They're with their grandparents having, I think they're watching Toy Story 2 tonight. <laughs> I'm missing out, aren't I? <laughs> And this man, this handsome man, he is back in the UK where we're currently based. And um, we're halfway through a trip at the moment. We've been here in Newcastle about four weeks now. We've got four weeks left. So we've got one month in, one month to go before I get to see him again. But if I can wind the clock back a little bit. A few years into our marriage, we'd been living here in Newcastle. I'd been working for Compassion at the time and John had done a a few different things. He'd been running a business and he'd finished up a pastoral internship in a local church and for a couple of years we were here, here with you guys at the Granary and I can say looking back on that time that we actually had a restlessness in our spirit. 
that we now understand to be God moving us forward into the call that he has put on our life. And that restlessness was kind of his way of moving us in that direction. Now, John and I, we've always had a firm sense that God brought us together for his purposes. And we also each have a, a strong bond to the heritage of faith that each of our parents have sowed into our lives. We wanted to pursue God and his call for our life and our marriage. Maybe some of you here know this experience with the Lord. And one day we realized that there wasn't ever going to be a perfect time to follow that prompting. And so we packed our bags and we headed for Nigeria and we spent time living and working and volunteering with the ministry that John's parents started, CFM. You see, in the years just before this time, Nigeria had reached the point of national crisis. You've probably heard of Boko Haram, a brutal Islamic extremist group. They had been terrorizing the northern regions of the country and instigating widespread local violence. During this time, 2.7 million people became refugees or internally displaced people as Boko Haram ravaged terror through, the, through entire states of Nigeria. When the dust had settled and the numbers counted, it was found that Boko Haram was directly responsible for leaving 55,000 women widowed and for leaving over 52,000 children orphaned. This crisis had a devastating impact, especially on the young people and the youth of Nigeria. And it instigated cycles of despair and retaliation, which had carried on for many, many years. Liberty, freedom from this terror seemed so hard to imagine or achieve. It wasn't uncommon at this time for Muslims to kill Christians. And I'm sad to say, for Christians also to retaliate in violence. But in the face of huge divisions and huge personal losses, we were so moved by the actions of CFM and their staff in putting themselves on the line and at personal risk to protect and to show Muslims in their community uh, dignity and love and friendship. Now, looking back, when I think about it now, I believe we actually got the, the murmurings of the call to Nigeria earlier than 2016, probably back in 2014. I have a little bit of a creative background. Um, some of you, uh, I remember God met me very clearly um, this time, like at, at one point, giving me the lyrics of a song. Now, I don't know, there might be some other creative people here who can relate to this story, but sometimes the creative process of writing words and then putting them to music can be really tedious and really like take a lot of effort and it can be really hard to get right. And my experience of writing this song was absolutely opposite to that. It was like this message gushed and out, the music gushed out and I can only look to God and say that that was something that he really wanted to say to me at that time. I'd like to put the words of that song just up on the screen for you now and to read them as a poem, just to give you a window into how God was speaking into our hearts at this time. It's called Lord of Liberty, and it says, To the broken you bring wholeness, to the lost you guide the way, to the prisoner you give freedom, to the dead a life remade, to the orphan you're a father, 
to the widow comfort's hand. To the sinner, you're a saviour. On the cross of life we stand. Freedom is here. Freedom has come. The tomb remains open. Jesus, you've won. Freedom is here. We are standing in victory with the King of creation and the Lord of liberty. To the failure, you give chances. To the chained, the captor's key. To the young, you give new visions. And to the old, a newfound dream. We were once caught in the wreckage of a world without hope. Now we stand in faith of things unseen on the grace that you've bestowed. I think this is a really good point to draw back to the passage that we're up to in our series on the miracles of Jesus in Luke 8. And this wonderful scripture. Now the passage today is a beautiful witness of Jesus both as the King of creation and the Lord of liberty. I don't think it's by accident that the story of Jesus and the demoniac, if you can remember back to maybe last week, where you were up to last week in the story, it actually directly follows the story of Jesus rebuking the disciples for their lack of faith during the storm. First, Jesus calms the waves and the wind, demonstrating that he is the king over all creation. And then he gets out of the boat, the demons are trembling, and a man is exhausted, and he falls on his knees begging that Jesus wouldn't torture him. The demons had driven this man into a life of torment and isolation. But when Jesus shows up, this man, who had so much power and terror over others, found that he had no power or terror over Jesus. I wonder what the man was thinking. Was he, think, was he thinking, oh no, the demons inside of me are trembling. How much greater and far worse for me will this power be to, the, to that that I've experienced already? Or maybe he was ashamed. Maybe he was thinking that Jesus would punish him or condemn him for how he came to be in the position that he was in, the vulnerability he was experiencing and the possession that he had that these demons had over him. But Jesus does none of that. Instead, he asks him his name. And the man replies, we are called legion because we are many. In Mark's account of this story, the legion of demons, just to give you an idea of how the power and the force that, was, that had this man bound up, in the, in the account from Mark, these leg this legion of demons was cast into around 2,000 pigs. Well, we don't know what the man was thinking, but we do know one thing. The king of creation crossed a stormy sea to come and meet this man and to set him free. First, Jesus calms the storm. Then he heals this man. He sets him free. And now the man is restored, clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is the king of creation and he is the Lord of liberty. Now, as I'm reading this story, perhaps it prompts in you to think about areas of your own life where you are experiencing a lack of freedom. Are you experiencing a spiritual, a physical, maybe a mental weariness, a weight, or even an oppression? Or well, friends, the battle is very, very real. But for you, it's already been won. And I can tell you, with full experience from my own life and from seeing the first-hand witness of so many people, you too 
can walk in that freedom. That too is a freedom and a truth that you can walk in. But maybe for others that are here tonight, you are confronted by a feeling a bit like John and I had when God called us first to Nigeria. That perhaps God is asking you in a completely counterintuitive way to, to run towards the areas of brokenness or danger and not away from them. The call from God to live by faith in Jesus, the King of creation and the Lord of liberty, inspired by the freedom that he has won for us on the cross forevermore, a freedom that beats in our very spirit, that emboldens us to go to the darkest places with faith that that same spirit will bring freedom and healing to a bound up world. Well, be encouraged, friends. I'm here to say again with full confidence that if that's what he's saying to you tonight, he will never leave you. I'd like to introduce you to someone now. This man is called Reverend Gabriel or Gabriel. And while we served and lived in Nigeria and served with CFM, we were mentored by this wonderful man and his wife, Tope. And during one of the intense conflict periods in the city of Jos, where CFM's headquarters is based, a mob of angry young adult men from the tribally Christian part of town descended on a Muslim area. In their anger, their retaliation and their vitriol, they were setting fire to buildings, they were killing people who were wearing Islamic dress, and they were chasing the community out of their homes. A community barrister, and um, a com a, he's a barrister and a community elder by the name of Abdul and his family were one of the families fleeing for their lives. Now, Gabe and Tope offered them a hand of friendship, of sanctuary, and at the risk of their own lives, they brought this Muslim man and his family in and hid and harbored them in their own home. Today, we still work with this Muslim barrister in community peace-building work. And that reality is only because of the courage and the faith that was taken then. At another point, another angry mob during this intense period turned up at CFM's Bible College facilities and they were wanting to, to torture it. They wanted to burn it to the ground because the building was owned by a Muslim man. And Gabe... And the team, they actually talked down the mob and they convinced them not to set light to a building full of impoverished Bible, Bible school students and the surrounding houses. They negotiated with them and in, and in a face-saving moment of brilliance, they convinced them to just burn one empty building. Today, that building still stands, left as a memorial in ruins, as a reminder of the pain, but also the courageous pursuit of God. It's not the world's greatest picture, but this is the building today on the right there. Now, friends, when we look at the world through our human eyes only, it tells us that we live in an, in an incredibly violent world. Its resources are not shared equally and not developed to meet basic human needs. Racism and fear still run really deep and strong. Human conflict is won by whoever has uh, the biggest stick. When we only look at the world with our human eyes, peace seems impossible, even perhaps laughable. But when we can fix our eyes on the King of creation and the Lord of liberty, we don't lose sight of the challenges 
facing our world, but we are drawn to them with compassion and in prayer to see them too set free. If we only look this way, reality gives us not a lot of reason for hope or optimism. But if we can lift our eyes and catch a glimpse of what God is doing, we see there the face of Jesus, the King of creation, the Lord of liberty, holding the power to calm the storm, to bring freedom to the captive, and to cast 2,000 demons into the sea, and calling us, his church, into this beautiful vision of healing and restoring what's been broken. When we turn on the news today, and we hear about what's happening in our world, in Nigeria, in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, the temptation is to feel helpless. But let's remind ourselves that these divisions, they didn't come out of nowhere. But also, the writing is not on the wall. Jesus is still the King of creation. He is still the Lord of liberty. And he's given us, the church, the mission of this work on earth. This is why as people set free who know the freedom that we have been given in Christ and what he has set us free from, we must take on the mandate of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Because nobody else will. Paul in 2 Corinthians wrote, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we saw this again today in the story when Jesus went across the lake to break the power of Satan and sin over this man's life. He set him free And then he sent him back to be reconciled with the people that he'd become estranged from. While we should, friends, be anchored in the very real challenges facing our world, we must put our faith in the King of creation and the Lord of liberty. Faith is turning dreams into deeds, not just accepting and accommodating for the way things are, but living as if God, things can be different and that God is leading us into a new reality of new creation and more just, equitable and peaceful relationships with others and our world. Abdul, the Muslim barrister I spoke of earlier, said of our good friend Gabe, When the attackers came, they were looking for Muslims. Our immediate Gabe and his family seriously protected us. This is a Christian begging a Muslim to come and find safety with them. For the first time, I saw humanity beyond religion. I think he's right. Gabriel was living out of new creation humanity, as God intends for all of us. And in doing so, the most amazing part of this is that he is bearing witness to the good news and giving this Muslim man and the community community that he represents a window into the divine 
and the true nature of God. This is why John and I gave our ministry the name Seek Peace. It's the pursuit of God's vision of restoration and peace to declare his glory in the world and to walk in the divine and to let this be what transforms the divides and challenges facing our world. So this is the spirit that compels us, but how did we get to where we are now? Well, during the years that we spent on the ground with CFM in Nigeria, my husband John worked to oversee their approach to mission stations where young, newly trained leaders were supported to go back to their village communities as agents of change. John also worked with the business and the income generating arms of CFM, for example, tractor projects and also the computer training centres that we still work with today. On the main site, CFM is home to close to 200 children and for the first few years I directed the care homes for vulnerable children and youth who had been among those internally displaced and orphaned through Boko Haram. But after I had Abraham and fell pregnant with Nora, I found I needed to pull back from a lot of day-to-day -day oversight and focus primarily on caring for my kids, keeping in touch with supporters and churches that pray for us, and inspired by the need to better prepare for what we sensed God was quickening in our heart to pursue, I started towards, I started, took on my master's towards sustainable development. We made the bold decision to have Nora in Nigeria, and this decision coincided with the eruption of COVID. Where we lived, I have to say that the government COVID restrictions had a really devastating impact on the local economy. Without livelihoods and without government support, um, chaos increased, and it wasn't uncommon to hear at that time of people injured and killed in, in local fighting and unrest. We decided to have Nora induced when I was about this big so we could camp out at the hospital and not get into trouble on the roads. People were so impoverished in 2020. The poverty was acute because people weren't allowed to work and the government didn't have any way to support them. You could feel it in the city. It was palpable. Looting was on the rise. The threats of kidnapping also increased quite a, extremely at this time. When Nora was only three weeks old, the CFM facilities that we lived on were attacked by armed robbers. Two security guards were injured that night and one man was, sh was shot and killed. We lay in the middle of the living room again of Gabe's house on mattresses with the lights off that night trying to keep our little babies quiet. There was only 40 or 50 metres from where we were that everything was happening. And we were very conscious there when we were trying to keep our babies so quiet that it wasn't just for their safety, but it was also there was 25 or 30 people in that room with us. And so we became more conscious of the vulnerable position that we were in and, and also the vulnerability definitely of our children. And we began to think more seriously and pray and ask God about the position that we might actually be putting other people in and whether we were endangering people or adding complications at the very least to a volatile situation. In Australia, our home wasn't an option. The borders by this time are closed and we had to decide whether to, to make the decision whether to stay in Nigeria then or to take a step back and to seek some clarity from God about what he was calling us into our next steps. 
we wrestled with what the right decision was and we came to the conclusion that it would be by, by faith that we stayed in Nigeria then or it would be by faith that we took a, a step away for a time to try and establish our family in a way that would allow us to be involved in this kind of work for the long haul. Now, we are so pleased that we took that step. We ended up making a really tough decision to try and establish a base out of the UK because we thought that its close proximity to West Africa and the same time zone would be advantageous for remote working with our partners and regular travel back and forth. To our great surprise, one of the few positives to come out of COVID was overnight video conferencing and remote working became really, really normal and the technology was really accessible. And that was definitely true for our staff and our partners. And that's been wonderful to work with them in that way. This has been a game changer for us. And also really positive in the approach we believe God wants us to take in our ministry. It means we can keep active and work with our partners, but not ever, uh, but still defer to them in day-to-day decision-making. And then not be in a situation where they would defer to us because we're the Westerner. We like that model of partnership. We think that that's healthy. We think that that's godly. We think that that honours the knowledge and the experiences that different people bring to the church. During this time, we began to see that God was enlarging our vision for the work that he was drawing us into for the long term, to support and partner with Christian missions in some of the world's most conflicted contexts, and to multiply the impact of this work by equipping local ministries with knowledge and expertise drawn from other ministries in similarly conflicted missions contexts. We used 2021 to build up more knowledge through master's study to support the first-hand experiences that we'd had in Nigeria. I'm about to graduate my Master's of Science in Sustainable Development, and John is in his final semester of a Master's in Peace Building and Reconciliation. God has put a burden in our heart for gospel-centered transformations of peace. We believe that this is a lifelong endeavor and pursuit. Now, John is... My husband is incredibly focused on details and around specific projects. We joke that he's our specialist. He's at his best when he's freed up to focus on really difficult issues and to work them through thoroughly. John focuses on the detailed work with our mission partners and through research and teamwork, he works with them to evaluate and to create better, more sustainable ministry frameworks for the vital kingdom things that they're called by God to achieve. And I guess I'm probably a bit more big picture and administrative, and I thrive on keeping a lot of moving things together, working at once around a big picture. In our day-to-day now, I focus on managing our ministry, establishing the infrastructure for our charity, relationship building and communication with our supporters and supporting churches, and as well broader issues um, for our vision for Seek Peace, such as pursuing justice and advocacy. Now, John and I love working together on this. We don't forever see ourselves living in England as we do now, but by God's providence, he's opened up some really miraculous opportunities for us. Um, As we stepped out of a difficult situation with the best we could in faith, he continues to lead us forward. We've discovered that being close to London has also become useful for us in discovering and building relationships with other ministries working in grassroots missions in tough regions of unrest and violence. These ministries we've come to learn are under-resourced and often ill-equipped to think about their missional approach to conflict. 
Now, doing what we could at the time, John took up what you might call a modern-day tent-making job with a London charity to cover some of our living costs. But they really have honoured John, and they see God's hand on him. And he, they have agreed that he would gradually step out of his work with them or come down in his hours so that he can have more capacity now to travel back and forth to Nigeria and to get back into remote working with our partners and really to put more time into helping build up new partnerships with our missions partners. So that's one of the things that God has really opened up for us. We've also had a really wonderful response to the skills and support that we can, we can um, provide for grassroots ministries in conflict settings. Most of these types of skills are contracted through big agencies like the UN or large NGOs, and they often take a really secular approach to conflict transformation. But small grassroots missions and ministries don't get a look in, and no one or very few people are taking the secular knowledge that exists, but also taking Christian theology and Christian mission and a Christian concept of peace and trying to find that sweet spot about how that can help in the world today. And the irony is that often these Christian missions, we've seen this firsthand, are working with some of the most vulnerable and overlooked groups of people. And they're doing something that doesn't just have temporary significance, but has eternal kingdom value. We can help them, we can partner with them, and we can make an incre- a real difference. Some of you may know about the first projects we partnered with, CFM's computer training centres. The first of these centres began in 2014 after the citywide attacks that were happening in Joss that I, I shared with you earlier. Barrister Abdul was one of those key relationships that helped CFM, a Christian Bible college, build, relation, build a relationship of trust and credibility with local Muslim elders. The committee they formed decided that they needed to give their young adults hope and a computer training centre seemed like something that would give them a form of education and some skill that would give them a new opportunity for employment. At the beginning, CFM just wanted to give this as a gift to the Muslim community. And they said, look, for your youth. And the Muslim elders went away and they thought about this. They came back and they said, no, we don't want it to just be for our youth. If we continue, and it's just separately from, the, from those from the Christian part of town, we'll never build relationship, we'll never come to understand each other, there will never be peace. That's not, that's not what will solve anything. And so the beautiful thing that came out of that was that they established like um, a practice, a policy within these computer centres, the six of them now that we partner with, where 50% of the intake of students is from the Christian part of town. And 50% of the students, student intake is from the Muslim part of town. And the committee of elders is again made up of both those from the tribally Christian and the tribally Muslim background so they could come together and talk about the needs of their youth and actually have creative ideas for how God wants to transform their community. And I just think it's so remarkable that God's purposes and his plans are so much bigger than what we think he's capable sometimes. You know, it was a Bible college. They were just, they were, we, were, we were thinking small and God was using a Muslim elder to say, no, no, I've got something bigger going on. You know, friends, God works in profound and huge ways that blow our mind. 
Well, this year, in addition to this, we're also in early discussions of partnering with two new missions partners, in addition to CFM, one in Nigeria and another one in Ghana, now that John is able to travel more and movement is easier. And we've also been able to establish a brilliant relationship with the church in the UK, who's agreed to house a lot of our operations and our work, and also help us to think through, mentor us through setting up some of the things that we need to, 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 get, to, to get Seek Peace, to become a charity and to achieve all the things that we believe God really wants us to do. So as we come to the end of my sharing tonight, I just want to throw it up there for you. By God's providence and gift, he has blown us out of the, out of the water. We, d- we couldn't see what he, he would do, but he has miraculously opened doors up for us. And we honestly believe that there's a time, for such a time as this, God needs ministries like this in the world, promoting reconciliation, promoting peace. We have everything established to move into this. We believe that God's quickening in us that we need to move into this again. But we do need the partners, those that can stand with us in prayer, those that can stand behind us in, in gifts, financial gifts, to support and build our financial capacity for this. Thank you so, so much for the support that you have sown into our life as a family and also our life, Seek Peace as a ministry. It's been such an encouragement to us. It's helped our family, but it's also gone so far to help these computer training centers and to help people in conflict settings to actually see the face of Jesus and to get this window into the divine. If that's something that you'd be interested in knowing more about and you think that that's something that you could partner with us us in, that would be great. You could sign up to our email newsletters as well. That's another way that you can keep in touch. It's so wonderful to share about ways that you can support us. But much more important for me is that as this message draws to a close, that we enter into a time of contemplation and we give the space for that, giving you the opportunity to do some business with the Lord. Just want to leave some ideas with you as we close. Nations are ripped apart by wars. Communities are pulled apart by religious and racial intolerances. Families are split apart by misunderstandings and pride. The same is true of friendships, of businesses, of churches. Friends, I'd like us to stop and think about where we need reconciliation in our own relationships. Where are those hostilities spurred by fears Spurred on by anxieties of sorrow, hopelessness, our doubt, resentment and hatred that we're harbouring, that are holding you captive, isolated and divided in yourself or with others. The world needs now more than ever the church to respond to the deep divisions and conflicts in our world. A people who turn the other cheek, not slap the other's cheek. Skilled and ready to lead in the call to reconciliation. Conflict will continue to be done violently and unjustly, but we have the opportunity, friends, to be a window into the divine, pulling the kingdom of heaven into earth. Now is the time. 
And I know, I know there's some of you here today. You're crying out for more of God's abundance, His presence and His blessing. You want to serve Him and you want your life to be an offering. Well, Jesus in Matthew 5 commanded, He said, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If we want more of God's presence and we want more, when we want to bear witness to his glory in the world, we need to embrace this divine calling to, re- to walk in reconciliation, in peace, in shalom. Can I invite you to close your eyes for a minute? Thank you. Quietly before God, invite you to identify one area of hostility, maybe a broken relationship in need of reconciliation. Can I ask you to bring it before God, the God of reconciliation? While we have our eyes closed, I want to remind you, the writing is not on the wall in that relationship. The future is not decided. The King of creation, the Lord of liberty, is setting hearts free. I know it's difficult. It's maybe the most difficult thing that we can ever do. But the choice to pursue reconciliation has always, always been a step of faith. Even for Jesus as he took the cross so that we could be reconciled to our Father. I'm going to invite Stu up. Perhaps you could pray for us as we close. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Kay and for John, and we pray a blessing over them, Father, and this work that they're doing in Nigeria, Lord, at the cold face, right on the front line. And uh, we're just astounded by their just brave hearts to step into the things that you've called them into, God. And we just thank you for this calling on their life, this lifelong calling. And we pray that in everything, God, you would sustain them, that you'd protect them, that you'd continue just to provide everything that they need. And we thank you for that beautiful family, God. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in us tonight. And Holy Spirit, what you're speaking to us, the areas that we know we need to hand over to you, Father, these relationships, God, that you want to bring restoration in. Would you help us to be the brave ones that step out and say sorry and forgive others? God, would you just uh, identify the areas where we've judged others and we've pushed others aside, where others have become an enemy when they should have been a brother and a sister. And may you just bring peace and restoration into all those relationships, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. May you have a safe and blessed week.